You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 71, covering Contagion and the Royale with Kevin Lynch. Hi friends, we're back, and Flonk is here with us. Yep, I've watched a good episode and an episode. Yeah, let's uh, let, let's get used to that pattern, because looking at the next few weeks, it, there's going to be a bit of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but but this week, uh, fortunately, I actually got the good one, so I'm going to yeah. tell you all about... No fault of your own. No, actually, no, yes. I. this is not a memorable title at all. The thing is, because I... You know, haven't had the best of luck with with episodes to talk about, mm-hmm. and so I picked this one just kind of at random, thinking, well, you know, season two hasn't been that bad. I'm like, well, what could, well, no, we've had a couple of really good ones here, mm-hmm. and you you ended up with the you know, it, the thing is, it's not even well. We'll I mean, we'll get to it, but it's yeah. not even bad. It's just dumb. It's dumb and boring. Yeah, but it's not it's not the outrageous Okana. No, that's true. No, We're not outrageous. It's not. It wasn't outrageous enough. It's no. not the child. Like it's just dumb. You must save him. But no, the uh, the first one was Contagion, which we talked about. This is completely unmemorable as far as a title goes, and so I had yep. no idea that this was the one that I thought was one from season one, but is actually this one. So I might as well have called it like the Contagion Agenda or something. Yeah, that's it's so completely generic, um, and it goes a little something like this. So the Enterprise is rushing to the aid of the USS Yamato, making me sad that I already used the Yamato-Yamato joke a few weeks ago. They, that is to say the Clamato, are stuck in the neutral zone following an ill-advised trip by her captain to locate the mysterious lost planet of Space Atlantis, homeworld of the long-dead Iconians. The Iconians were like the Romans of the galaxy, bringing aqueducts, roads, sanitation, medicine, and wine to the galaxy before being forced out by some other ungrateful brat of a civilization. Or, if you read the more progressive people's history of the galaxy, they were ruthless imperial oppressors. Anyway, the point is, they were incredibly advanced, and now they're gone, and the captain of the potato thinks he found their homeworld. Only his ship got hit with a probe that's causing his ship to go slowly insane, in the neutral zone. Which, if the Romulans weren't such a cock-teasy non-entity so far, might actually be a problem. But wait, there's a Romulan ship, and it's commanded by a badass Romulan lady. Finally! So the Yamama blows up, and Picard is now forced to fend off the Romulans, figure out what really destroyed the gelato, and deal with impending problems that might now also destroy the Enterprise. Have I mentioned lately how much I love this show once it starts to get good? Tired of not getting to go on any missions, and confident in the belief that he would be a good mission guy... Picard, whose interest of the week is archaeology, and this one actually sticks, leads an away team to the planet and discovers the magic portal technology that that allowed the Iconians to either rule the galaxy or bring the galaxy cookies, depending on who you believe. Realizing that this technology would be dangerous in the hands of the Romulans, who would almost certainly not bring the galaxy cookies or aqueducts, Picard, who has totally been reading up on his Kirk this week, decides to blow it up. Then they figure out how they can wipe out the Iconian virus by, no kidding, turning the Enterprise off and on. Which sounds stupid until you realize that that's exactly how we fix things in the 21st century. So yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed this one. I, it had it's really good. Yeah, it yep. had all the stuff that I like. Um, and I'll just go right into my good thing, bad thing here. I love this kind of episode. I'm a real sucker for the ancient space civilizations and galactic archaeology, that kind of thing. And I like a creepy mystery. Uh, the stakes were nice and high, and the ideas were cool. Plus, actual Romulans. So, uh, although, Matt, I think you disagreed with me on that point. Yeah, well, yes. So, 
unfortunate there. Is that uh, am I am I blowing your bad thing there, or are you uh, going to go ahead and discuss much, that? Okay. Now? All right. Well then, so we'll get to that. Tell me why? Right. Why do you disagree? All right. So Jumping my good thing. Well, no, no, just the, just the Romulan limit. I haven't done my bad thing yet. All right. Uh, we, like we're finally getting a genuine Romulan threat again, and it's just nothing. She just stands around looking irritated. Well, that's pretty much what Romulans do. Yeah, yeah. I know, and I'm sick of it. Like, how could you be sick of it yet? <laughs> it hasn't really happened yet. Well, that's too bad because I look, look. We waited so long for Romulans to show up on TNG, and then they didn't do anything. And now they're doing the exact same thing they always do. Give us something to work with here. Like, please don't have just them show up, be all pissed off, and then like fuck off again. But that's what they always do. That's what they I will know. do well that's into the series. Do, yeah, in, in the in the later when 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 we love the when you love the Romulans anyway. That's the same thing that they do. It's just see that. I guess apparently it works there, and it doesn't work here for you. But right now, she, it's just some grumpy chick over on the other on the other ship. See, I liked her. I thought she had a good presence. I liked her voice. She looked like a Romulan. Like, she just, you know. And she it's cool that there was... Really yeah. And I, I like that the Romulans just have female captains, and it's no big deal. Like, yep, this is your adversary this week. It's a woman. How about that, huh? What do you think of that? So, yeah. Uh, my bad thing is, uh, not that this is news to anyone, but Troy is useless. She reaches new heights of uselessness in this episode, uh, as Wesley, understandably shaken up by the destruction of a galaxy-class starship, goes to Picard, the most emotionally distant guy on the ship, for comfort. <laughs> I get that we often have trouble finding things for Troy to do, but this right here is her job. Somebody requires grief counseling, and they don't even consider going to her because she just sucks. Yep. It's just, like, I, I totally get, and this isn't even a dig at Wesley. Like, he's a junior officer. He's never seen an entire ship blow up like that. And no, that's got to be Wesley's of... daddy issues where, you know, his dad's dead, so he's going to go to Picard. I, I can see that. But really, that, I mean, that yeah, should be Troy's, Troy's job. job. yeah. That is totally he's, Troy's job. They're both, like, ten feet apart of the bridge. Yeah. She should, I, Counselor, I can I talk right to you for a minute? I'm a little about it? I'm a little shaken up by this. Can can we talk? Yeah. See, I kind of I kind of buy it, though, because A... Like Wesley's got the whole hero worship thing going on with Picard, and B, if I was Wesley, I couldn't talk to Counselor Troy about anything. Yeah, but while it's funny to joke about that, I don't think they ever actually acknowledge that you know he wants to bang her in that creepy teenage way. I'm sorry, but if I'm f- like he's 15 now, right? I think so. Yeah, 15, skin tight, hot British chick on the ship. No, I'm not going anywhere near her. Yeah, but they're not going to write that. Is what I'm saying. That's not a valid reason because... Well, they should have. It would have been more realistic. I don't think he even knows what sex is yet. You've grown beyond your primitive earth boners. Yes. <laughs> your primitive earth what puberty. those uniforms? Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, really. Well, maybe that's why the zipper keeps coming down, because he's uh, <laughs> you know, making it a little too tight. Uh, Flonk, how about you? Good thing, bad thing? Uh, my good thing is that there was great tension this episode. You really got a sense of dread when everyone realized the Enterprise could blow up at any second, and then you add in some Romulans whose ship is also going nuts, and baby, you got a stew going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then the whole thing on the planet, which is you know the weird mystery. I like I said, I really love, I love the whole ancient civilization thing. And some people say it's a cliche that it's overused, but uh, I I don't know. I like it. I like. I mean, space is old. It's it would be a bit presumptuous to assume that. The Klingons and Romulans and humans were the first people to explore the galaxy. Of course not. There, you know, there would be other civilizations rising and falling over millions of years before we even got there. And it's cool that occasionally we run into them. Like that's yeah. a cool idea. I just yeah. I wish we'd done more with the Iconians. Cause... Yeah, they come up once more in Deep Space Nine where they find another one of these portals, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. 
And it would have been nice to maybe tie them into like the Guardian of the Forever or maybe like the um the I think it's the preservers, the race that seeded, you know, yeah, yeah. the other races so they were all humanoid. Like there's you know, there's a lot of opportunities there that they kinda dropped, I think. And I also there's a point where um like where they're exploring the Iconian lab or whatever the hell it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I just like the transporter room. Yeah, right. the transporter room, thank you. And I just it would have been cool to see like the room more clearly designed for non humanoids. Yeah, well, that's why I say I think it might have been cool to tie them back to the preservers or whatever, because, like, everyone's humanoid on purpose. Mm-hmm. And but is, oh, go ahead. they kind of dropped the ball a little bit, too, with um, with the portal. Like, it just showed, like, a bunch of postcards, basically, and then yeah. the Enterprise. Like, if it showed, like, a bunch of, like, distant planets and, like, some, like, really weird shit going on behind it, instead of just, like, here's the Acropolis. Well, and I think the problem there is, is budget. You know, you can't design... 50 new alien planets to show, you know, as still images. Back then, all you had to do was just make a couple paintings. You didn't Mm. need to do CGI or anything. Yeah, but those paintings are expensive. I mean, Bob Ross has things to do. He can't be making happy trees for Star Trek all day long. (laughs) Happy tree planet. Yeah. It appears to be a world with a cozy little cottage in a a snow-peaked valley. Oh, the smoke coming out of the chimney. That's nice. Uh, And your bad thing, Flunk? Uh, my bad thing. It's this is an easy one, but um, when you put Will Wheaton in a scene where it's just him and Patrick Stewart, it really just shows what a bad actor he is. Yeah, the thing is, I want to be clear that our complaints about Wesley the character are separate from our complaints about Will Wheaton the actor. Yeah, and Wesley yeah. this season hasn't been too bad, apart from in the Dolphin. He hasn't been too bad as far as he's a junior officer now and not the king of all children, at least. <laughs> but what happens when you take that away from Wesley, then you're just stuck with Will Wheaton, who just kind of yeah. winds his way and wouldn't act his way through scenes. Yeah, it's it's not great, and you're absolutely you right. against, you know, the, the best actor in the cast. Actor. Yeah. Best actor in the cast, best actor in all of Star Trek. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I'm trying to keep the show moving and I can't really stop and think of everyone, but, uh, you know... Off the top of my head, you're Certainly probably right. Regulars. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, and you pointed out there's a scene where he's going through the logs of the guy from the Yamato, uh, the, the captain um, yeah. of the Yamato, and it's just Patrick Stewart sitting there face it's, acting. It's a guy watching TV. And yep, and it's like, images that they filled in in post. Acting and he's so good. Yeah, and he's not even looking at the images live. Like, they put those in later. He's looking at a blank screen, and Patrick Stewart's still carrying the right, you know, like facial expressions. He's yeah, just, yeah, like he's got like he's trying to figure out the mystery. He's um, sad that you know his friend is dead. That all these that a thousand people died right in front of him. Yeah, and there's yeah, Romulans lurking about. How to get it to not happen to his ship and yeah, so much going on in just his face. And you can totally see it. Like he he carries all of that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Whereas Will Wheaton carries. Duh. Tell me about the Iconians. I'm interested. Yeah. I, I I still don't know if Wesley is legitimately interested or if he's trying to earn, you know, suck up points with the captain by pretending to be interested. See, I don't buy him actually being interested in it just because if it's not a real thing, he probably doesn't care about it. Yeah, you're probably right. I thought that was a myth, and so I decided not to spend any time thinking about it at all. Yeah, because myths are things that, you know, kids with imaginations are into, and uh, yeah. I'm I'm not into that. So. No, like circuits. Right. Uh, That's why he likes the uh, Yamato so much. Right. Uh, so Matt, uh, you, I, I already forced you at gunpoint to say your bad thing, but what about your good thing? Oh no, I just I really like the idea of the Iconians. Like, you you sort of went into this a bit more, but uh, I just like the idea of that, like the ancient civilization. Mm-hmm. 
that's dead. Well, there was there was an episode in season one that I originally thought was this one, which with the Ferengi and with uh, portals that go across the galaxy, and I thought it was that one. Mm-hmm. And that's why, in my mind, season one isn't that bad, because I thought this episode was in season one. But it wasn't. Oh, season one is that bad. Yeah, it kind of is. In, in retrospect, I, although I still maintain that in seasons one and two, they do a lot more exploring strange new worlds and a lot less ferrying bumpy-headed aliens from one place to another. They do that a lot. Yeah. Season one was a necessary bridge to get from the original series to the next generation. Yep, it was. And there were a couple of good moments. But season two, we're really starting to get good. And it's not, I, th- I originally thought like Measure of Man was it, but no, there's some, there's some quite good episodes. There's, um, I mean, of course, we had that, and then we had this one. Next week, we have um, Times Squared, which I quite like, and then the following week, we have Q-Who, the first appearance of the Borg. Like, there's there's a lot of good stuff this year, which is good. I mean, the show's really starting to become its own thing. Times Squared? That is the one where, I mean, we'll talk about this next week, but it's the one where they find the duplicate shuttle with a duplicate Picard in it. It's a good episode. And it's oh, it's just yeah. creepy. It's done as sort of a, a horror thing, almost. Like Yeah, yeah, and he's got a stop the ship from exploding. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's mostly just sort of a creepy mystery and the other Picard can't talk and it's it, it's really more of a mood piece. Like, the, the plot doesn't do it justice. It's very much a mood thing, which I really like. But again, this episode has pretty much everything I like about Star Trek in it. It's got, you know, the, the crew all sort of pulling together to solve a mystery. It's got some, you know... Some looming danger. It's got some cool high concept stuff. Like it's it's, it's got Jordy explaining things. It's got Jordy being thrown around in an elevator. <laughs> that was fantastic. That was awesome. As as they realize that uh, the probe that comes to destroy the or might be destroying the Enterprise, uh, Jordy figures it out and tries to call to the bridge and he can't. So he's got to take the turbo lift up and uh, hilarity ensues. It was very uh, it's very uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah, it absolutely was. <laughs> Kept exqu- yeah, I kept expecting him to get squished down into a little puddle. <laughs> Going down, sir. <laughs> Wait, is that Droopy or Ensign Sadsack? <laughs> Can't it be both? That's what his job is. Yes, he's the <laughs> elevator operator. Oh, great. Now I'm just picturing him with a little bellboy hat. Yeah, that's about right. Well, he'll have to change his avatar now. It's a living. <laughs> I made a special note here. There was one point, and I don't remember what the line was, unfortunately. I didn't write that down. But at, near the beginning of the episode, where... I think it was Riker made some casual colloquialism and Data asked what he meant and they didn't go into a 10 minute joke about him like listing all the synonyms for that thing. Like, I don't know. It felt like a step forward. It's a wonderful show of restraint. Yeah. It's like it was the setup for that same tire joke and they didn't do the joke. Data's like, oh, that's what you meant. Moving on. And it was just, yeah, it was a nice moment. Like we're we're moving. Well, it's a character arc for the writers. The writers are like, there's more interesting stuff. Let's let's press on. Please, can we? And also, this is the fir- this episode is the first appearance of T. Earl Grey Hot. So just nice mm-hmm. little uh, hallmarks starting Flat. to happen. Yeah, archaeology, T. Picard's finally coming together. Yeah, exactly. Picard really is more Kirkish in this, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just he doesn't back down from the Romulans at all. They're like, get out of the neutral zone, and he's like, fuck you. I got a, I got a mystery on my hands here. You you'll just you're just gonna have to wait. Why don't you back out of the neutral zone? How yeah, about we're, that? We're both not supposed to be here. Uh, at least I'm not claiming... That's pretty much what I'm Riker s- does at, at the end when Riker uh, has to talk to the Romulans. And they're like, why are you still in here? Why are you still in yeah. here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, and actually, I was looking at the notes, and Matt and I both made the same note early in the episode. Like, aren't? why are the Romulans always hanging out here? And then 
basically Picard opens the channel and says, why are the Romulans always hanging out here? Like, <laughs> all right, touche. Well played, Picard, well played. Yep. Uh, this episode was co-written by, um, God, I wrote it. Oh, Steve Gerber. Steve Gerber. <laughs> the creator of Howard the Duck. <laughs> and I looked it up and it is the same Steve Gerber. So th- well, that's pretty awesome. That was a bit strange, but cool. Nice to see. <laughs> we explain why the Romulan commander was a, was a six-foot duck with a cigar. <laughs> Captain's log, starting 479.3. We've arrived at Duck World. <laughs> a wank. <laughs> then Riker's just going to hang out with uh, Leah Thompson and her negligee. Yeah, he's fine with that, and so am I. Yeah, I think we're all okay with that. <laughs> um, trying to think of what else. Um... I mean, I just, I really enjoyed this, and it was a bit of a struggle to come up with, you know, things to make fun of, because I just, I like yeah, this episode a lot. Especially at the end, like, I was just watching the episode, and yeah. I wasn't taking any notes. No kidding. It was, it was just, it was great. Um, <laughs> there was Worf's, like, when Worf's down on the planet with, uh, with, with Picard and Data, his replacement at security could not look more late 80s if she tried. Oh she God, had, like, she had, like, Bride of Frankenstein hair. No, she had, like, giant vanilla ice bouffant hair. She and, and her makeup, and she just looked like if you threw some shoulder pads in there, and I think one of you said like triangle earrings. Mm-hmm. Yes, that would have been it. Some neon in the background. Yeah, <laughs> that totally could have been like a late Pat Benatar video. You definitely, just take her face and put it into the opening scene, oh, the opening credits of Saved by the Bell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was a nice, uh, there was a nice callback to Maddox. Uh, when Data actually gets infected by the the same virus and Jordy's trying to figure out, he's like, I, I don't know, I'm not an expert. I wish we had, like, a Maddox here. Like, it was just a, a throwaway line, but it was a nice little, like, hey, yeah, Maddox, neat. That would be helpful. Uh, it probably wouldn't. No. As we recall, Maddox wasn't actually very good at his episode. <laughs> nope. And he, um, would just try to, he would just try to own the planet. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Keep calling it. to prove the planet is not a person. Keep calling it it. Um, Won't look it in the eye. <laughs> there's a there's a great bit. Oh, go ahead. I uh, know. I was going back to Troy being useless <sighs> at at the end when uh, when Picard okay. is down on the planet and uh, and Troy and Riker are, are uh, up top and she's like, everyone on the ship is all like agitated. We should give them something to do. And uh, Riker basically says, Yeah, yeah, all right. You go head up. Yeah, the, you do that. Busy work committee. And yep. Don't you need me to help you with romance? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> no, no. You look. You've got more important things to do. That's a great idea you had. Why don't you go do it now? Get on out of here, slugger. <laughs> and the nice thing about Riker is, because he's Riker, he he doesn't sound like a dick about it, but he totally is yep. just dismissing her. Dude, fuck off. I'm busy. Yeah. Um. There's a great bit near the end where Picard blows up the planet and jumps through a portal to escape the explosion and materializes on the bridge of the Romulan ship. Yep. And it's a nice sort of tense moment, like, oh, fuck. And then Patrick Stewart plays it just great. Like, this sort of, like, I'm in over my head. There's no nothing to do but play this for comedy. Like, this oh, like, hi. Uh, hello. <laughs> and then they beam him away. And How are you? <laughs> hello, Subcommando. What's the haps? <laughs> Coco Pepsi. Anybody yeah. want to talk about archaeology? No. Go, apparently. <laughs> Bye, then. Oh, and, and speaking of sort of subtle comedy, there's a great bit where um, Jordy's uh, working in engineering and he gets electrocuted by a panel and Data throws him clear. And there's just a, it, there's nothing really in the script. If you listen to the dialogue, it's not written funny. No. But but LeVar Burton and the Brent Spiner just play it very subtly for, you know, that, that sort of, uh, are you okay? Yeah, I'm great. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 
And it's just nice. This is why these two are always hanging out together. Yeah. The and they play off each other perfectly. And, and you can tell the, the sharper writers are picking up on that chemistry and starting to write more stuff for them. Yeah, like, absolutely. yeah, this is great. Yeah. Give these guys more. So yeah, that's fantastic. Um, I don't know. Anything else? I feel like we're, we're just, was, it was a good gag that they, they solve all their computer problems by turning it off and on again. Yeah. And, and that was apparently deliberate. Like apparently the writers like were making fun of fixing computers like that. Yeah. Now, apparently the USS yeah, Enterprise is exactly the same as my computer at home. As everybody's computer, like, you know, my PS3 and mm-hmm. my, my iPad. Yeah, and phone's lagging. Let me just everything. turn yep. it off and turn it back on. Have you on. tried turning it off and then turning it back on again? Yeah, I mean, you know, 25 years after this episode's made, that's how we fix everything. Mm-hmm. You know, Jordy's just sitting there. Is your replicator plugged in? <laughs> <laughs> no, the transporter pad is not a cup holder. Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anything else? I think that's it. Yeah. All right. My quote is... I don't want to talk about the other one, so... Yeah, I know. Me neither. Any any delaying tactics we can think of will be fine. No, the episode has the delaying tactics covered quite well already. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My quote for this episode is actually not funny. It's actually just... I'm a sucker for one of the... Like, when they get really stoic and when they sort of get into the tradition of being on the Enterprise and all that, I I love those kind of quotes. and, And my quote is this. Fate. Protects fools, little children, and ships named Enterprise. So, yeah. Uh, spoiler alert, my, my quote for yesterday's Enterprise is going to be, let's hope history never forgets the name Enterprise. Also. Yes. I just, when when they say stuff like that, I just like, yeah. And let's hope it forgets the Enterprise NX whatever. <laughs> well, it did until yeah, it did. Exactly. Yeah. It was always there. Who says that it was? It, so they yeah. forgot all about it. All right. All right. Until they went to the holodeck. Flonk, why don't you tell us about the Royale? All right. The Enterprise is investigating some debris orbiting an uninhabitable planet. Picard takes some time out to give everyone a math lesson. (laughs) Turns out the debris is from a manned NASA mission from the mid-21st century. Oh, man, that just made me sad, you guys. Yeah. And so Riker, Data, and Worf beam down to the only place on the planet even slightly habitable. Great idea. They find out that they've come to the mysterious Planet of the Doors (laughs) and decide to blunder on through one of them. The door belo- this door belongs to the Hotel Royale, a hotel straight out of the pulps, complete with a plucky young bellhop, a vile gangster, and a Texan named Texas. He's had his face shoved in a deep fryer. The away team gets bored, but they quickly find out that you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. While they're all living it up in the Hotel California. Up on the ship, no one can figure out how to <laughs> penetrate the planet's radiation. But it's okay, says Troy. There's no danger. I sense Bill is amused. Smash cut to Bill being all grumpy. Eventually, they figure out, oh, who fucking cares? I'm getting bored just writing a two-minute summary. Imagine dealing with this for 45 minutes. They find out the book the hotel is based on because, of course, it was. The book ends when three foreign investors go and buy the hotel and then fuck off home. Boy, that's a lucky coincidence. So Data uses his robot gambling skills to get the money to buy the hotel and everyone goes home happy. I don't know about happy, but... Uh, they, well, they're happy to go home. Yeah. Uh, good thing, bad thing, Flunk? Good thing. Uh, there's a gem of a good idea here. By that, I mean the crew is trapped and needs, needs to find a way out is a good idea. Well, sure. There's, there's you know, I would say a hundred episodes that fit that description that are good. <laughs> exactly. Um, which bad thing did you pick? Well, there's so much I decided I was just going to pick one at random, All right. which is the 1940s film noir vibe they were going for was completely ruined by having all the extras be all 80s up. And that just reminded me of uh, of Atlantic City, because, like, sort of classic architecture with, you know, 
80s looking people. That just reminds me of when my parents would take us to Atlantic City for the weekend. <laughs> Um, for me, my good thing, bad thing, uh, my good thing, the last 10 minutes when Riker and Dan, and it's actually, I need to revise this having just rewatched the episode. It's actually the last five minutes, uh, when Riker and Data really start getting into the whole thing are genuinely charming and entertaining. Like Data does that thing where he really gets into a role like he did with Sherlock Holmes, where he just like, you know, baby needs a new pair of shoes and he starts rolling (laughs) the dice in a really elaborate way and just very cool. And Riker's spreading the money around and just doing that. Stuff you would think Riker would. I mean, yeah, he's just doing his little Riker. Yeah, he's being got, he's Riker. Got that Riker smile. He's leaning in on everybody. Just <laughs> all right here and hey, pretty lady. Here's yeah, me. hey, hey. Like, this how you the crap doing? He was born to do. Yeah, he's basically off duty, Riker. Like he's yeah. not. He doesn't have to be stiff and serious now. He can relax. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bad thing. I can't believe I'm saying this, but this episode needed to be more cheesy. There was too much time treating this ridiculous premise seriously. Not enough time with the three best suited characters for comedy here being yeah. used to their full advantage. I mean, you got, you got Worf who doesn't want to be there just folding his arms and glowering. I and, don't understand telephones. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got uh, Data and Riker doing what I was saying before. It just, if the whole episode had been that last five minutes, that would have been fun. Yeah. Those three guys are the perfect comedic setup. You've got yes. Data trying to fit in. You've got Riker who just does fit in, and Worf who wants no part of it at all. And it, it's it's a perfect setup. And yeah. Just, and you see glimmers of the potential there, and they just ruin it. And mm-hmm. mostly it's, I mean, literally, you know, nine-tenths of the episode is, is them wandering from room to room trying to figure out what's going on and be, you know, like, well, we can't get out. Uh, let's look over here then. It's padding in the script. There's direction, uh, padding from, from the director where it just it shows them like walking up to the door, opening, yep. walking yep. through. Here they are coming up the other side and walking down the hallway now. It's, yeah. it's like that Mystery Science Theater thing. I'm so glad they showed us that they went through the door. <laughs> They're establishing the hell out of that, that building. Otherwise. Yeah. No, it was it was definitely very padded. And, and like you say, Flunk, that scene in the beginning – with Picard talking about, for, for, I don't know how you say it, Fermat's theorem. So it's, it's a French name, so it's like Fermat or something. But yeah. <laughs> And, of course, the thing is, like, ten years after this episode was made, it got solved anyway. <laughs> of course it did. Actually, not even ten years. This was made in 89, and it was solved in 95. I looked that up just because I was curious. Like, sometimes when they say, well, 400 years later, and this is still a mystery. I'm always curious if it actually is. And mm. in this case, nope, not at all. <laughs> they solved it later that week, and the writers were just like, fuck it, don't care. <laughs> Leave it in. We need to pad this episode out. Bad. <laughs> Matt, it's what about you? Like, oh, Riker just walks into the ready room, and he's like, and Picard's like, oh, number one, I'm glad you're here. I've been reading about math. Here we are, math, 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 math. And then Riker's <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking when about. When I was at the academy, I was thinking about going to space and not this stupid crap. Yeah, me too. So anyway, <laughs> we want to just beam some debris up into the cargo bay, maybe? Is that all right? Oh, yes, yes, of course. Make it so. Math, math, math. <laughs> <laughs> Go math. Yeah. And and as you pointed out, Flanka, toward the end, they bring it up again as a really clumsy way to tie things together. Not at all. Basically, so, they yeah. found themselves were five minutes short. And like, oh, well, we'll just throw some scenes in the writer room there. Mm-hmm. And the thing is... Uh, I found this thing on Wikipedia. Let me uh, <laughs> just throw that in. The, uh, the, the thing is, there's also an extended sequence where uh, Riker and Data are, are talking about how the odds work when they're when they're playing dice. And... Uh, the, oh, extended. craps. Yes. Um, but I, I looked this up. Uh, I, I read some stuff on Wikipedia and on uh, Memory Alpha, like, when I remember to do, I try to do. And it turns out their explanations are entirely wrong. 
So we get five minutes of really boring exposition, and it's like, okay, they're throwing a bone to the math nerds. No, the math nerds are mad, because that's not even right. Yep. So it bores everyone. Not cool. Uh, Matt, what about you? Good thing, bad thing? Okay, my good thing is, at one point, Data wears a cowboy hat. (laughs) (laughs) Given to him by the character named Texas. By Texas. Boy, you know what you need? I think he's from. <laughs> Detroit. I just I said the only thing that this character was missing was firing six shooters in the air every time he's he ended a line. The oil guy from uh, The Simpsons. He's he's every like he's um, like Larry Hagman um, from Hot Dallas. Hopper. Yeah. He's just every bad Texas character. Yeehaw, I'm a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> and your bad thing? My French fr- French fried android legs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just, there's so much wasted time in this thing. Nothing happens, okay? We beam down to this planet. We wander around it for a while. We And then we, we literally get the solution to what to do out of a book. Yep. We read a book and do what it tells us. The end. Yep. There's oh. nothing. There's no conflict. Like, we... At one point, Mickey D, the, McDon- the McDonald's mob, <laughs> the dude in the back. Yep. But then he leaves. Like... They basically win all this, like, $12 million to buy the hotel. Mm-hmm. The hotel staff doesn't do anything about it. I thought they'd maybe get upset that they were losing a million, like, $12 million. But no, just give it to them in a box and they buy the hotel. The end. Well, and I think the in-story explanation as well, it's all a badly written book. So, you know. Yeah. Like, which yeah, is well, the laziest excuse of is, all. Yeah, like, you could even, if it was a badly written book, you could even use that to make it a better episode. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It should have been cheesier. They should have really focused yeah. on, first of all, those characters doing, like I said, but also the, just the deliberate lack of information and, like, inconsistencies and bad, di- like, really bad dialogue. And they didn't. They kind of half-assed that. I think one of you had mentioned it was written as a comedy and filmed yeah, seriously. Right. Yeah, convinced that it was it was written as comedy, and they just somewhere along the line they they screwed up and started treating it seriously. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's a, there's a few times this basic story happened in the original series, like uh, the Gangster Planet, where okay, stupid idea, but you get to see Kirk and Spock being gangsters. So you know what? Yeah. I'm going to shut that part of my brain up and just enjoy this. And I would totally have done that for this episode had they not insisted that we take it seriously for three quarters of the episode. Yeah. And like, not only is like. Not only do we have to take it seriously, but there's nothing like there's nothing to look at here. No, there's no like at, at least if there'd been some interesting character stuff going on, or maybe a B plot up on the Enterprise or yeah. something. But no, the B plot on the Enterprise was Picard reading the book. Yep, and being and bored by it, rolling his eyes because it's terrible. And it's so boring. At one point, Troy leaves. Yeah, Captain, do I have to be here? No, you can you can leave. Why, why does she get to walk out on this episode and I don't? <laughs> Also, here is, like, the worst thing. Okay, it's a bad book. That That is so inherently, like, potentially funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if the three of us put our heads together, we could we could make that really great. Yeah. And here is how they show that it's a bad hey book. Guys, I'm running a casino. <laughs> the, opening, <laughs> the opening line is, it was a dark and stormy night. There is no more phoning it in, this is a bad book. That, like, that's just, that's so sloppy. Well, that just means Snoopy wrote it. <laughs> Here's the World War One fighting ace making a shitty Star Trek episode for Matt to watch. No, it's a dark and stormy night is what every bad book, supposedly, yeah. the way every bad book, you know, you could just do something better. Mm-hmm. It just, uh, so lazy. So lazy. So lazy. And then, you know, they're, they're wandering around a hotel, and I don't know, it just, it could have been creepy maybe even, yeah. and it wasn't. It could have been funny, and it wasn't. Yeah. 
No, there, there's a tradition here at Post-Atomic Horror where if the episode's bad, we'll find something to latch on to and make fun of that for the entire episode. This episode didn't even have that. No, the funniest thing to me was the thing I'm going to use for the cover art, which is Worf picking up a telephone. That's yep. that's it. That's all yep, there is. Really funny. That's, that's, I just, I mean, I always like Worf out, of, you know, in the out of context thing, like mm-hmm. the the Victorian garb from a few weeks ago, and, and there'll be more stuff. Yeah, and I, I enjoy that. But I mean, I, I, there was Texas, I guess. Yeah, but look, no, I was. don't think I'm surprising anyone when I say that Texas is no Armus. <laughs> well, no, it's not even a Hengus. No, it just forced you guys to imagine uh, Armus wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> Yeehaw! <sighs> so, and then Texas is creepily not even trying hitting on, just straight up molesting. Uh, we couldn't decide if she was either. I said she was fake Victoria Jackson. Matt said she was fake Arlene Sorkin. No, I just think she's the standard blonde floozy from like a television actor. Like there's a they were dime a dozen back then. Yeah, I don't think she's anybody. Ah, jeez. I also think that. Jeez, um, oh, well, Mister T. <laughs> they, they, I pity the fool. After he kills Batman, <laughs> Mister T's going to teach me how to gamble. <laughs> and then I have to eat his balls. <laughs> No, I, they mentioned when they're summing up the terrible book that, that one of the plots is that the, they're scheming to kill her husband or something, but yep. that nothing ever comes of that. That husband never shows up. No. I didn't even know she – I don't remember that at all. Or it was – they were, they were scheming to kill – they were scheming to kill her husband or maybe his wife. But mm-hmm. the whole point is they had gotten together and something like nefarious was happening with them. Yep. And they never go into that at all. It's just mentioned in, in when they're talking about the book. They never leave the table. No. No, they move from the from the blackjack table to the craps table. Yeah, that's about as much movement as you'd get if they were characters in an adventure game. Well, and the thing is that you can't interact with anyone in the in the hotel you except for poker here. Yeah. yeah, no, you can't interact with any of the characters except for the concierge and the um, those two. Like yeah. all the other people are not like they're non-player characters. Yeah. And so, like, because they keep trying to approach people and they keep not responding, so... Well, I mean, at, at one point, I Data pro- approaches an old woman playing the slot machine and not talking to him. That's... That's that, normal. That's going to happen in regular Vegas. Too. Yeah. I, again, I feel like it's more Atlantic City, though, just for the, you know... The, mm-hmm. Sorry to sorry to slight your uh, your home state there, Flunk, but really, the, the cheesiness of it. There's a reason I left that state. <laughs> um, yeah. It's just... it It's just... Dumb. Called the elevator a turbo lift. Yeah, that was funny. Mm-hmm. That was funny. I I do like. Okay, it is an overplayed thing, and it was in the original series a lot to show what the ancient Earth astronauts got up to. Yeah, but I do occasionally like to see what our space program was supposed to be. But as Flunk pointed out, it is sad mm-hmm. that yeah. NASA in twenty thirty seven. Yeah, probably not. Probably doesn't even exist. Yeah, the flag has fifty two stars. If it though said Virgin Space Program, that would be believable. Yeah, probably. But the American resting place of Richard Branson. <laughs> well, he'd hopefully would be carrying a better book than uh, than whatever this book with the oh, Royale. He'd probably be ca- carrying a copy of his autobiography or something. I was like. to say the same thing. It's weird because when they're when they're starting to figure out what's going on there in this hotel room with the with the skeleton astronaut mm-hmm. and um, from the skeleton planet from the skeleton yes. planet, of course, where they where but they left a book about skeletons on the planet and. Uh, <laughs> No, and and they go in the the drawer. Worf reaches in the drawer. I'm like, oh god, is this planet based on the Bible? And no, it was it was the Royale with with cheese. With cheese. No, there should have been more cheese. That's what I'm saying. Yep. And there wasn't. <laughs> more cheese and less Texas. 
I think that could be said of most things too. That will improve most things, actually. I just need to make it clear just how much I hate that guy. Well, I keep trying to goad you into expanding on but, that. Uh, there's, no, there's no there's no explanation. There's just, oh, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, a similar character popped up in The Neutral Zone, where you had a, a southern guy. Yeah, we love that guy. And he was charming and kind of funny, and he had nice chemistry with Data. And... Yep. Interesting, and, and he, had, he had the whole rock star drug addict kind of hook to him. Yeah. Interesting. He was funny without overplaying the hillbilly element. He was, you yeah. know, kind of amusing. And this guy yeah, just. This guy, like I said, all he needed was to just shoot his guns in the air every time he won a hand. <laughs> oh, Christ. The, the car that Data was so obsessed about seeing probably had the big cow horns on the front. Well, of yep. course it did. And it was a 91 Cadillac, which, when this episode was written, would have been a car from the future. So that's something, I oh, guess. I don't oh. know. I like um, the fact that there was no proof whatsoever that they had the cow horns on the front, but I and t- but in my head, I totally just assumed. Oh yeah, no, there's there's. I mean, he has Cadillac, so of course it has the cow horns. Yeah. and like a side of beef just hanging from the ribs. <laughs> slab slab of Flintstones ribs. Yep. <laughs> and the horn plays uh, deep in the heart of Texas. Yep. Because of course deep it in does. The heart of Texas. <laughs> so these aliens that that built this planet for this astronaut. They can read English perfectly to the extent that they can recreate the hotel and breathable oxygen, edible food, precise uh, uh, costumes. Like, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just... Exactly. But nobody knows who they are. Where, like, the, the alien... That part of it just goes completely unexplained. Yeah, yeah. no, we never explained... No, no, some aliens built it. That's all. Obviously. Oh, okay. Aliens are always building stuff for humans. It's Star Trek. You've seen this a million times before. Yeah, I know, and I don't like it there either. But now, oh. because there's nothing else to look at, I'm forced to think about how it works. Yeah. And I don't know. They, they... Otherwise, it's just watching Worf shoot a wall for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, if you'd given me something amusing to look at... Yeah, I would be distra- I wouldn't care how the trick works. If, came from. if you dazzle me with the trick, I don't care how it works. Yeah. Michael. But if it's boring, then I'm going to start wondering, like, what's behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And what's behind the curtain is a wall that doesn't get destroyed by a phaser. Yep. That is all. It's... Just not good. It's not. At all. But again, I don't think... I wouldn't even call this a bad episode again. It's just dumb. Yep. It does. It didn't make me angry at it like some episodes it's do. It's just completely unremarkable. Like, I would... This is nowhere near a bucket episode. No, no. But the it's thing just is, like... I would rather watch... Like, at the end of the day, I would rather watch, say, Plato's Stepchildren than this. Because Plato's Stepchildren was horrible, but at least, at least it evokes happened. an emotion. Yeah. Yeah. See, I disagree. I would watch this just because it wouldn't make me angry. I yeah. Would no, just th- have this on in the background while I'm doing something I would I would rather be doing. Well, yeah. yeah. Just, this is just noise while I look at my Tumblr. This is yeah. the way most people seem to watch TV, which is something to have on rather than something you're engaged in. But you know, it could be worse. Is what I'm saying. I mean, yes. It could be a, so much worse. Now, Matt, you were saying this is the first episode you ever saw. Oh yeah, I wanted to bring that up too. Uh, this is I, I saw this. For the first time, when it came out, back in 1990, 91? It would have been 89. 89. Okay, so I would have been like, uh, six? Six. Um, or actually, no, I probably would have been like five. Right. But, um, no, this is the first, I, I distinctly remember the scene where uh, the three of them are standing in just black with the sort of yellow above them. I actually like the look of that. I, mm-hmm. I Flunk said that it looked cheap, but I actually like when they're on the sort of minimalist sets. It's, I think, a nice cost-cutting thing, and it still looks kind of cool. I remember the sort of very, like, slowly turning, revolving door. Mm-hmm. And I remember being terrified by the by the space skeleton. 
<laughs> I actually was looking through my notes to see if there's anything else to mention, and what I said was Hotel Skeleton would have made a better title for the episode. <laughs> No, it's but so I had that, I, uh, Eagles cover band. <laughs> nice, nicely done. I also have the note: Jesus, get fucking on with it. They've been in this hotel since Pulaski was a teenager. <laughs> that was for you, Matt. I appreciate it. No, I um, this is not just the first uh, TNG episode. This is the first episode of Star Trek I ever saw. Wow, and yeah. you came back, huh? And I came back. That's better that's... than mine, which was uh, Star Trek Five. Yeah. Oh boy, see, mine was four, so you know. And like, and I hadn't seen it since since then, so I was interested to see, you know. Yeah, you're you're seeing a lot of these either for the first time or for the first time in like twenty years, so it yeah. is interesting to to get your. Whereas I am like, I don't know. You could say, unfortunately, maybe not. I made a pass through this only a year or two ago, so yeah. it's still fairly fresh in my mind. Um, anything else? Let's talk about the uh, the concierge for a minute. Okay, you mean uh, Bernard from Lost? From well, you spoiled it. Oh, sorry. OMG. <laughs> No, because like I, he just looked familiar. I was just calling him Creepy Phil Hartman, and then um, <laughs> I don't really see the Phil Hartman connection. Like, he plays the, he's just kind of tall and has that same body type and the red hair, slick back. All right, just reminded me of Phil Hartman. Okay, and then um, and that has that voice a little bit too, actually. Now that I think about it. Okay, fair and enough. And then um, you said he, Al, you said that he plays the douche in like so many things. Yeah, he and does. I looked him up. Yeah, it turns out it's Bernard from Lost. But but lots of other like he really is the douche in a lot of other things. <laughs> He's always the guy who can't, who won't let you buy, who like, you know, no, we're all booked up or, you know, something like that. So sorry, sir. No, he doesn't have an accent. He's like the American version of that, uh-huh. that kind of character. He's Bruce Campbell in us. Yes. Yeah. Only not cool. That stripe of fellow. Right. That flavor of guy. Um, there's the whole worthless subplot with the, the bellboy who plays the sexy music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bellboy walks out and just, nah, nah. Yeah, like creepy sax music. Yeah. Bellboy who is just like, he's just like some kid wearing a Bellboy yep. suit. There's nothing like, it's not like, you know, Fabio walked out carrying everyone's bags. No. It's just, <laughs> but, that, <laughs> but every time he comes out, you're like, nah, 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 But that music nah, nah, clearly nah. goes with a, with a sexy lady. That is not dude music at all. No. No. That's not even Riker music. Nope. It's just not. And then, yeah, he gets shot by Mickey D, who uh, the the book, or possibly the book jacket, describes as a nefarious Lothario, <laughs> which is a really odd turn of phrase and very hard to say several times in a row. Uh, anything else? Nefario. Stop that. The Crimson Nefario. Mickey D, the Crimson Nefario. <laughs> All right. Are we, are we ready to put this one behind us and Stop now. never talk about it again Jeez. until the other two times we have to summarize it for various projects? Yep. Flunk, you're clear, though. You never have to think of this again. Hooray! <laughs> well, except for your quote. you still got to give us a quote. Okay. And it might, my quote sounds a little something like this. None of it makes any sense. <laughs> you said it, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> well put. Not great. Not at all. Great. Uh, So that's all for now, and we'll be back next week, and Matt, say your thing. See you, folks.
The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.